The Beast Jewel of Mars by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edith Keserick of Southern Ohio. The Beast Jewel of Mars by Lee Brackett. One. Burke Winters remained in the passenger section while the Starflight made her landing at Cahora Port. He did not think that he could bear to see another man, even one he liked as much as he did Johnny Niles, handle the controls of the ship that had been his for so long. He did not wish even to say goodbye to Johnny, but there was no avoiding it. The young officer was waiting for him as he came down the ramp, and the deep concern he felt was not hidden in the least by his casually hearty grin. Johnny held out his hand. So long, Burke. You've earned this leave. Have fun with it. Burke Winters looked out over the vast tarmac that spread for miles across the ochre desert. An orderly, roaring confusion of trucks and flat cars and men and ships, ore ships, freighters, tramps, sleek liners like the Starflight, bearing the colors of three planets and a dozen colonies, but still arrogantly and predominantly Terran. Johnny followed his gaze and said softly, It always gives you a thrill, doesn't it? Winters did not answer. Miles away, safe from the thundering rocket blasts, the glassite dome of Cahora, trade city of Mars, rose jewel-like out of the sand. The little sun stared wearily down, and the ancient hills considered it, and the old, old wandering wind passed over it, and it seemed as though the planet bore Cahora and its spaceport with patience, as though it were a small local infection that would soon be gone. He had forgotten Johnny Niles. He had forgotten everything but his own dark thoughts. The young officer studied him with covert pity, and he did not know it. Burke Winters was a big man and a tough man, tempered by years of deep space flying. The same glare of naked light that burned his skin so dark had bleached his hair until it was almost white. And just in the last few months, his gray eyes seemed to have caught and held a spark of that pitiless radiance. The easy good nature was gone out of them, and the lines that laughter had shaped around his mouth had deepened now into bitter scars. A big man, a hard man, but a man who was no longer in control of himself. All during the voyage out from Earth, he had chain-smoked the little Venusian cigarettes that have a sedative effect. He was smoking one now, and even so he could not keep his hands steady nor stop the everlasting tick in his right cheek. Burke. Johnny's voice came to him from a great distance. Burke. It's none of my business, but... He hesitated, then blurted out, Do you think Mars is good for you right now? Quite abruptly, Winter said, Take good care of the starflight, Johnny. Goodbye. He went away down the ramp. The pilot stared after him. The second officer came up to Johnny. That guy sure has gone to pieces, he said. Johnny nodded. He was angry because he had come up under Winters and he loved him. The damn fool, 
he said he shouldn't have come here. He looked out over the mocking immensity of Mars and added, his girl was lost out there somewhere. They never found her body. A spaceport taxi took Burke Winters into Cahora, and Mars vanished. He was back in the world of the trade cities, which belonged to all planets, and none. Via on Venus, York on Earth, Sun City in Mercury's twilight belt, the glassite refuges of the outer worlds, they were all alike. They were dedicated to the coddling of wealth and greed, little paradises where millions were made and lost in comfort where men and women from all over the solar system could expend their feverish energies without regard for such annoyances as weather and gravitation. Other things than the making of money were done in trade cities. The lovely plastic buildings, the terraces and gardens, and the glowing web of moving walks that spun them together offered every pleasure and civilized vice of the known worlds. Winters hated the trade cities. He was used to the elemental honesty of space. Here the speech, the dress, even the air one breathed, were artificial. And he had a deeper reason than that for his hatred. Yet he had left New York in a feverish haste to reach Cahora, and now that he was here he felt that he could not endure even the delay caused by the necessity of crossing the city. He sat tensely on the edge of the seat, and his nervous twitching grew worse by the minute. When finally he reached his destination, he could not hold the money for his fare. He dropped the plastic tokens on the floor and left the driver to scramble for them. He stood for a moment, looking up at the ivory facade before him. It was perfectly plain, the epitome of expensive unpretentiousness. Above the door, in small letters of greenish silver, was the one Martian word. Shanga. The return, he translated. The going back. A strange and rather terrible smile crossed his face, very briefly. Then he opened the door and went inside. Subdued lighting, comfortable lounges, soft music, the perfect waiting room. There were half a dozen men and women there, all Terrans. They wore the fashionably simple white tunic of the trade cities, which set off the magnificent blaze of their jewelry and the exotic styles in which they dressed their hair. Their faces were pallid and effeminate, scored with the haggard marks of life lived under the driving tension of a supermodern age. A Martian woman sat in an alcove behind a glassite desk. She was dark, sophisticatedly lovely. Her costume was the artfully adapted short robe of ancient Mars, and she wore no ornament. Her slanting topaz eyes regarded Burke Winters with professional pleasantness, but deep in them he could see the scorn and the pride of a race so old that the Terran exquisites of the trade cities were only crude children beside it. Captain Winters, she said, how nice to see you again. He was in no mood for conventional pleasantries. I want to see Cor Hall, he said. Now. I'm afraid, she began. Then she took another look at Winter's face and turned to the intercom. Presently, she said, you may go in. 
he pushed open the door that led to the interior of the building which consisted almost entirely of a huge solarium glassite walls enclosed it around the sides were many small cells containing only a padded table the roofs of the cells were quartz and acted as mammoth lenses skirting the solarium on the way to core hall's office Winter's mouth twisted with contempt as he looked through the transparent wall. An exotic forest bloomed there. Trees, ferns, brilliant flowers, a soft green sward, a myriad of birds. And through this mock primitive playground wandered the men and women who were the devotees of Shanga. They lay first on the padded tables and let the radiation play with them. Winter's knew... Neuropsychic therapy, the doctors called it, heritage of the lost wisdom of old Mars. Specific for the jangled nerves and overwrought emotions of modern man, who lived too fast in too complex an environment. You lie there, and the radiation tingles through you. Your glandular balance tips a little. Your brain slows down. All sorts of strange and pleasant things happen inside of you while the radiation tinkers with nerves and reflexes and metabolism. And pretty soon you're a child again, in an evolutionary sort of way. Shanga, the going back. Mentally, and just a tiny bit physically, back to the primitive, until the effect wore off and the normal balance restored itself. Even then, for a while, you felt better and happier, because you'd had one hell of a rest from everything. Their pampered white bodies incongruously clad in skins and bits of colored cloth, the earthlings of Cahora played and fought among the trees, and their worries were simple ones concerning food and love and strings of gaudy beads. Hidden away out of sight were watchful men with shotguns. Sometimes someone went a little too far down the road. Winters knew. He had been knocked cold himself on his last visit here. He remembered that he had tried to kill a man. Or rather, he had been told that he had tried to kill a man. One did not remember much of the interludes of Shanga. That was one reason people liked it. One was free of inhibitions. Fashionable vice, made respectable by the cloak of science. It was a new kind of excitement, a new kind of escape from the glittering complexities of life. The Terrans were mad for it but only the Terrans. The barbaric Venusians were still too close to the savage to have any need for it, and the Martians were too old and wise in sin to use it. Besides, thought Winters, they made Shanga. They know. A deep shudder ran through him as he thrust his way into the office of Cor Hall, the director. Core Hall was lean and dark and of no particular age. His national origin was lost in the anonymity of the conventional white tunic. He was Martian, and his courtesy was only a velvet sheath over chilled steel. But beyond that, he was quantity X. Captain Winters, he said. Please sit down. Winters sat. Core Hall studied him. You're nervous, Captain Winters, but I am afraid to treat you any more. Atavism lies too close to the surface in you. He shrugged. 
You remember the last time. Winters nodded. The same thing happened in York. He leaned forward. I don't want you to treat me anymore. What you have here isn't enough now. Sar Cree told me that in New York. He told me to come to Mars. Cor Hall said quietly, He communicated with me. Then you will... Winters broke off because there were no words with which to finish his question. Cor Hall did not answer. He reclined at ease against the cushions of his lounge chair, handsome, unconcerned. Only his eyes, which were green and feral, held a buried spark of amusement. The cruel amusement of a cat which has a crippled mouse under its paw. Are you sure, he asked finally, that you know what you're doing? Yes. People differ, Captain Winters. Those mannequins out there, he indicated the solarium, have neither blood nor heart. They are artificial products of an artificial environment. But men like you, Winters, are playing with fire when they play with Shanga. Listen, said Winters. The girl I was going to marry took her flyer out over the desert one day and never came back. God only knows what happened to her. You know better than I do the things that can happen to people in the dead sea bottoms. I hunted for her. I found her flyer where it had crashed. I never found her. After that, nothing mattered much to me. Nothing but forgetting. Cor Hall inclined his dark, narrow head. I remember. A tragedy, Captain Winters. I knew Miss Leland, a lovely young woman. She used to come here. I know, said Winters. She wasn't Trade City, really, but she had too much money and too much time. Anyway, I'm not worried about playing with your fire, Cor Hall. I've been burned too deep with it already. Like you say, people differ. Those lily whites out there in their toy jungle, they have no desire to go back any further. They haven't the guts or the passions to want to. I have. Winter's eyes blazed with a peculiarly animal light. I want to go back, Cor Hall, back as far as Shanga will take me. Sometimes, said the Martian, that's a long way. I don't care. Cor Hall gave him an intent look. For some, there is no return. I have nothing to return to. It is not easy, Winters. Shanga, the real Shanga, of which these solariums and quartz lenses are only a weak copy, was forbidden centuries ago by the city-states of Mars. There are risks and discomforts, which means that the process is expensive. I have money. Winters leaped up suddenly, his control breaking. Be damned to your arguments. They're all hypocrisy anyway. You know perfectly well which ones are going to take to Shanga. You keep them coming until they're addicts, half crazy to feel the real thing, and you know damn well you're going to give them what they want as soon as they cross your dirty palm with silver. He tossed a checkbook on Cor Hall's desk. The top one was blank, but signed. There, he said, anything up to a 100,000 universal credits. 
I would prefer, said Corhall, that you draw your own check to cash. He handed the checkbook back to Winters. The full amount, in advance. Burke Winters said one word. When? Tonight, if you wish. Where are you staying? The Triplanet. Have dinner there as usual, then remain in the bar. Sometime during the evening your guide will join you. I'll be waiting, Winters said, and went out. Cor Hall smiled. His teeth were very white, very sharp. They had the hungry look of fangs. End of section one.